0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous
1: program, I was talking about Romans chapter 11 between verses 25 and 32. And what I was explaining in the previous program was that our God created a new person from the Jew and the Gentile. He initially created humanity through Adam and Eve, but then he eventually created the nation of Israel, and by creating the nation of Israel, he made a division between the Israelites and the non-Israelites. He effectively made the Israelite and the Gentile. The word Gentile meant other nations, the nation of Israel and then the other nations. That's all that the word Gentile means. But that eventually he made a new person in Christ Jesus a new creation through the Messiah. This is amazing to me. This is truly extraordinary. When you think about what God has now, what he has in the end, to me it's really amazing to look back and reflect on what he truly accomplished and how he accomplished it. What does he have now that he didn't have before? Well, in the new creation, he has a people who want to know him. He has a people who turn to him because they want to, because they believe that he is and they want to know who he is and that they want to have a relationship with him. We want to speak with him. We want him to speak with us. We want to live our lives with our God with us and we want to live our lives with God, with what he is doing. We want a mutual experience with our God, and we want him to reveal things to us that he would never reveal to anyone unless they really wanted to know. He has a people now who truly know what it means to be without him, and they also know what it means to be with him. This is especially true for those of us who came to Christ after we spend some time as an adult in the world, after we spent some time being sinners, being wicked and evil and indulging our flesh, many of us came to the point in our lives when we realized that there must be something more to life than this. There has to be something. Because this is not it. This is not satisfactory. There is something that is missing here that is not dealing with the root issues in our hearts. Sometimes when a person comes to faith at a young age, it's difficult for them to consider this. It's difficult for them to embrace this. Sometimes people do come to Christ and then they go out into the world and they live their lives as if there is no God. I can understand that. But there is a difference between those who do live their lives for a while and then realize that there has to be something different and they are confronted with the living God. I am one of those people. I did not come to Christ until after I was an adult, until after I had spent some time living on my own in the world and engaging the world on my own and making some good decisions and some bad decisions. Most of the decisions, of course, were very poor decisions. But it was later in life that I accepted the Lord Jesus as my Messiah. It was later when I surrendered to him and to the covenant that he had presented. And so when I think about my life, the way it was before I knew Jesus, I can see a distinct difference between now and then. I can truly see a distinct difference. Now, when I first believed in the Lord Jesus, I had no idea what was ahead of me. I had no idea what my life would look like 10 years later or 20 years later or 30 or 40 years later. I had no idea what it would look like. I had no vision concerning the future. The Lord gave me no insights concerning what he was going to do in my heart and in my life. I just simply recognized some simple truths, and I believed what he showed me. That was it. And since then, he certainly has shown me a lot more. And I'm very thankful for what he has shared with me since I first met him. But when I consider the differences between my life before and my life now, I am very thankful, very thankful for who he is to me, for what he has done for me, for what he has done to me as a person, as an individual. I'm very thankful for that. And I certainly would like him to continue his work because, in my opinion, I think he's got a lot more to do. But when I think about my life before, and if I was to consider, could I ever go back to that? I mean, could I really go back to what my life was like before? Could I live that kind of a life? Could I just go back and live my life without any acknowledgement of God at all? Could I just go out and try to indulge my flesh in some way? Maybe in some of the ways I used to, to try to find some peace and rest in my heart. Could I really do that? When I think about something like that, I cannot imagine going back to that. I just can't imagine how I could do that. I simply cannot consider that as an option. I really feel this way, that I cannot consider it to be an option to go back to a life of ignoring the existence of my God, to turn away from Him and to ignore Him and pretend that He does not exist to try to engage the world on the basis of what I can get out of the world rather than engaging the world with what the Lord has shared with me. If I was confronted with the situation where I would have to go back, I really believe that I would prefer death over that. I really believe that now that I know the Lord in the way that I do, I would rather die than continue to live on this earth without him. I just simply cannot see how I could go on, how I could go on in my life and, and live it in the way that I once did. There's no way that I could try to live my life in a new way. I don't know how I could possibly bring myself to do that. Now, something has happened. Something has happened. And I know many of you feel the same way. And if you don't feel this way, don't feel guilty Don't worry about it. If he does this kind of a work in your heart, be thankful. And if he does not, be thankful. What I want you to understand, though, is that I really believe that he can do a work like this in the heart of an individual. I really do. And how does he do that? I mean, how does he really transform a person to the point where a person would be willing to say that they would rather die than live in this world Without their God, without the true God, how did he do that? How did he manage to accomplish that? Well, one thing I have to say is that regardless of how he did it, I'm, of course, very thankful that he didn't do that until after he saved me, until after he resurrected me, after he did a work in my heart, because if he didn't do that before, then I might find myself in a situation where I would be interested in committing suicide, perhaps, because of a despair that I would feel. But for those who are in the world who do not know the Lord, they don't know him as I do, at least not now, it's going to be very difficult for them to understand this. If you're listening to me right now, you're going to find it very unusual for someone to say something like that because you don't know the difference. And it's okay. I don't want you to think that you need to know the difference. But one thing I can say with deep conviction, I can really testify of this, is that there is someone... There is someone who wants you. He really wants you. He wants you to want him, and he truly wants to reveal himself to you. And he wants to do a work in you that you cannot possibly imagine. And I want to encourage you to pursue him only because I know that he is real. And I believe that if you will turn to him, if you will pursue him, then one day he will show you who he is as he has shown me, if not in greater ways than he has shown himself to me. I really believe this and so I just wanted to take a minute to express that and to let you know that who he has made us to be now as new creations is extremely unique. And the way that he accomplished it to me is just extraordinary. It is extraordinary from where I was before to where I am now, is extraordinary. I was once a Jew, someone who was not a part of the Gentile world for the most part, and I experienced the separation that many Jews experience between the Jews and the Gentiles. We know what that's like, to be a part of one group versus another, and that this division was meaningful in the life that I lived, there was something to that, and it did impact the way that I engaged the world to a degree. And to understand that our God created this division long ago, and to understand why he created this division. He created this division to answer a question that was raised when he created humanity. I mean, this was thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago, our God has been working on us, sort of like a project, for thousands of years, and here we are now, and we can look back and see everything that he has accomplished between Adam and Eve eating from the wrong tree all the way up until today, where people are being born again by the Holy Spirit of God, and they are turning to him And they can know him in a way that Adam and Eve could have never experienced. They could have never turned to their God and said, I know what it is like not to be with you. I know what it's like to be empty, to live a life of despair, to have never known you at all and to now turn to you by faith, trusting that you will show yourself. They could have never experienced that. But you can experience that now. This is extraordinary. This is amazing how he has accomplished all of this. In Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. What I have just explained to you is such a simple explanation. It is so simple. And sometimes people speak to me and they say, that is just so amazing and so complex at times too. But you know, it really is simple. There are things of our God that are much deeper than this, that are unfathomable, that the revelation of our Lord concerning His judgments and His ways are so far beyond our understanding that for him to share anything with us at all is truly a moment to be thankful. In verse 34, this is Romans chapter 11, verse 34, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Imagine that, that first part where it says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? I mean, when I turn to the Lord for who he is, I didn't know what was on his mind. I had no idea what he was thinking. I had no idea what he was planning. I had no idea what he was going to do in my life or what he was going to do in other people's lives. I had no idea. But you know what? It didn't matter, did it? What I knew or what I didn't know didn't matter because the Lord is the one who is intervening in our lives. He is the one who is making decisions and doing extraordinary things. And we get to participate, that's true. But the results of our participation are nothing more than new opportunities to be thankful for what he does, for how he intervenes, for how he plans, for what he thinks. What he does is truly extraordinary. And who has known the mind of God? I mean, who would have known? Who would have known? Who could have known that me as just one person, who would have known thousands of years ago that he would do this to one person? And if you consider the enormous transformation that he has done with just one person, then take that and expand it by considering the transformation that he has done in millions of people, perhaps billions of people what he has done in the hearts of individuals that we may never know about, ever, that when we enter into his presence in the kingdom of heaven, there may be so many people, so many stories. Will there ever be an end? Will there? Will there ever be an end to the testimonies of people whose hearts have been fulfilled and transformed and changed? Who would have known? But regardless of, Who knew or who didn't know? It didn't matter because the Lord knew. His mind is extraordinary. And what he has set his mind to and what he has followed up with extraordinary action and intervention, what he has done is beyond our understanding. For him to reveal anything is truly a gift, a gift of God. It says at the end of verse 34, or who became his counselor? You know, I have met a lot of people who really have an attitude towards God. They really do. They have this attitude of, I don't like the way that God has done things. I don't like the world that we have in front of us right now. I, I don't like his gospel. I don't like his requirements that he has asserted to us. I don't like his expectations. I don't like the way that he has presented his covenant to us. You know, people make a lot of judgments against God as if they know better, as if they know something, as if they would have anything to say about how a person could experience such a transformation in their heart that they would say that they would rather die than to turn away from their God. I mean, who? Who can counsel someone? To that extent, who can possibly sit down with another individual and share great wisdom that they supposedly have that would transform an individual in such a way that they would no longer be anything like who they once were? I have known a lot of counselors, not because I went to go see them, but because I've just simply run into people. And I have encountered a lot of psychologists and a lot of counselors and people who are active professionals who are doing that for a living and others who would like to but they can't find a position or they can't start their own practice for whatever reasons. I've known a lot of people and they seem to have this attitude that they know something. But when you compare what God knows and what he does with an individual with what I have found counselors have done with individuals, There just simply is no comparison. Now, I can appreciate the value of good counsel. I want you to know that when situations come about where I believe it's worthwhile for me to pursue some counsel or some advice from somebody, I don't have a problem looking for it, and I would encourage you to do that as well. But I want you to know that there are definite limitations, definite limitations. But people seem to have this attitude, and sometimes counselors are the ones who have the bigger ego concerning this. People have this kind of an attitude that they don't like the way God does things, or they don't like the way that He changes people's lives, or they don't like the way that He has presented certain things to us in the Bible. They don't really want to use the Bible because they just don't feel that it's applicable for whatever reason, probably because they don't know anything about it. But my point is, is that People pass judgment on God as if they've got something to say, as if they know better. And they don't. You don't. I don't. No one knows better than God. No one can pass judgment on Him. He is not going to ask any of us for any advice concerning how He is going to cause this world to spin. He's not going to ask anyone's advice concerning how He's going to manage the sun, or how he is going to handle the planets, or the stars out in the universe, or how he is going to manage a blade of grass, or how he will feed the birds of the air. No one has anything to say to him about these things. No one will ever become his counselor. That is a unique position that God gets to experience. In some ways, I... I can't help but wonder how he really feels about that, because there are times when I really appreciate being able to speak with people who have insights, who have information that I could definitely make use of. I really do enjoy that. And yet he does not get to enjoy that, not in the same way that I do. He is the one who knows all things. There is no counsel for him. He is the one who counsels in some ways that could be a lonely existence How does he live with that kind of an existence? It's something that I cannot comprehend, that I cannot understand, that I feel for him in some ways. I feel for him because I can't imagine the burden that he must carry knowing what is going on, understanding what it takes sometimes in order to draw a person to him, for him to see the pain and the suffering that people go through, and then to see people decide to turn away from him, the pain must be extraordinary for an extraordinary God. And how he lives and how he continues to walk on this earth and function and intervene and engage people, to me, is just extraordinary when I consider the scope of that. There is no one who will become his counselor ever. In verse 35 it says, Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? We have nothing to give to him but ourselves. Absolutely nothing. And when we give ourselves, which in many ways is also nothing, when we present ourselves to him, do we expect anything in return? Does he owe us something? Should he be thankful? Should he be appreciative? Should he give us some kind of a reward of some kind? Is he perhaps in our debt? Is that the case? That he owes us something? That we turn to him and so he had better do something in our lives? Something in our hearts? Absolutely not. No. This decision that we make is a decision to surrender. That's what this is. That is the covenant. That He has established a covenant that we surrender to. There is nothing that we have for him, and yet he has everything for us. Absolutely everything. There is no debt that he pays us. What he gives to us, he gives freely. He described it as an inheritance according to his will. But I want you to see that, especially in Romans chapter 11, verse 35, where it says, Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. Who has first given him something so that he will then owe you? Or who has given him something that he can then make use of and then we can give it back to him and say, aren't you thankful? Aren't you happy? Aren't you joyful? Because you created something in me and now I can deliver that to you. It doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. There is nothing there at all. For from him, this is verse 36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. From him are all things. Through him are all things. And to him are all things. In my own personal life, I look at this in this way. That I am from him. He created me and I became a person when I was born. That is true. In that sense, I am from Him. But the day came when I turned to Him and responded to the gospel that He revealed to me. And when I turned to Him, I saw that He made me into a new creation and that again, I was through Him. I was a new person. I am a new person only because of Him. And that this is only because of what He initiated. The gospel is through him. Forgiveness is through him. Resurrection is through him. A relationship, a covenant is through him. And to him, what does it mean to say to him are all things? Well, all things are truly here for him. And all things are here for his purpose. And he uses all things for his purposes. And all things are delivered to him from our perspective, but from Him all things are already His. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. That is where it ends. It truly ends with a forever of the glory of God. For us, it is a life in eternity, experiencing Him in greater ways. But for Him, there is an end where He can be at rest and at peace when he resurrects us and we become one of his children. For us, there is no end to the relationship and for him as well. But when you consider what he has gone through, when you consider how much time he has spent, thousands of years to bring you to this point right now, to say that we have now reached the end so that a new beginning can now be experienced, That is a moment for our God that reveals His glory in an eternal aspect that only those of us who have His Spirit within us can begin to see. So in light of this, in light of the extraordinary God who has revealed Himself to us, who has presented Himself in a very simple way that everyone can understand, at least in the context of an introduction... What should be our response? Our response is very simple. Present yourself. Present yourself to him. He has revealed himself and he has called out to you personally through the revelation of the reality that he is. And in response to that, you should just simply present yourself to your God so that he can resurrect you and reveal what he sees in this world through his eyes, what he hears in this world through his ears. And so together you can engage this world and be a part of what he is doing. And I will continue into Romans chapter 12 in the next broadcast.